This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world! And will be for a while yet, the St. Louis Blues. I'm your host, Tom Franklin, joined as always by Wags. Wags, how's it going, bud? It's going well. I mean, still just trying to get through the interesting time frame we're in, but once again, we're talking hockey. We're talking about my favorite time period obviously yes which is the after hall bracket so I'm, I'm really excited to get into that into that but we got a lot of cool things to talk about today yeah we do we do and a lot of interesting matchups today and i know i know the last bracket we did uh, last week the before hall forwards featured a lot of obscure names i mean we did our best last episode to kind of uh, highlight those for you um but uh yeah this one i think uh this is when we'll get the real engagement going with our fans here uh, we'll do the daily polls like we did last week, and then two polls on Friday and Saturday. Uh, those will drop at noon every single day, so follow the uh, Blue Notes Pod Twitter account. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll just do that. It's uh, episode number 53, or as I like to call it, the Austin Pagansky episode of Blue Notes, the one-game wonder for the Blues so far. He'll probably get more in his career. Um, and yes, the, 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 the choices were slim for sweater numbers here. Number... Or, there are only two other number 53s, and they played a combined seven games and I think had two assists between the two of them. So, you know, we'll uh, – I, I, I already forgot their names. It's that bad. <laughs> it's that bad. Um, one thing I haven't forgotten, though, is uh, the response to our first Goon Line Thursday night game on the Hockey Podcast Network YouTube page. And uh, in case you don't know what the Goon Line is, uh, myself, Wags, a few others in the Hockey Podcast Network have gotten together to play some uh, World of Chell on uh, NHL 20 uh, on the Xbox One. And we recorded some games, and then uh, a couple other uh, contributors of ours, uh, uh, Andy Hammond, Hockey Troll, uh, they uh, commentated our games. And so I went in and took one of those games, took one of their commentaries, cooked it up, put it all together, Threw in some spicy little uh, uh, nuggets in there, just uh, some fun stuff, and uh, uh, it got some good response. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something that I think we're going to continue doing the uh, the Thursday night game, trying to trying to fill the uh, void in our lives, you know, because Thursday nights, of course, as you know, wags, it's a big night for hockey. It's one of the biggest nights of the week for hockey, and we're just trying to do our part. Yeah, I mean, it was a blast doing it. I mean, we're going to be continuing to do this throughout the, the the doldrums of no hockey. And it does. It gives us something to look forward to. It gives us some actual hockey. You know, we're playing against people. So it's not like it's us versus the computer and we can dominate 100 to nothing and say all good things about it. I mean, oh, yeah. the, game we, the game we had on Thursday was a highly contested game. I think we up we went up 2 nothing, blew the lead, ended up going down, coming back and tying it. And then somebody who couldn't win a faceoff wanted an overtime. 
Uh, actually, 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 that was Shane Ryan that got the winner in overtime. Oh, did, oh that's right. I was thinking of another yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, but um, I, I don't know who you're talking about with this guy who can't win face-offs. That's just uh, I, uh, appalling and ridiculous behavior, Wags. Oh, it's 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 un- yeah, unreal. It, it's all, it's <laughs> I can't all good, say, I can't say much because I'm playing defense, so I really can't contribute too much. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of fall on the center's uh, shoulders a lot, you know, so I guess that's I guess that's why no one else wanted to play center. You know, no so I, I I kind of took I kind of took the responsibility there, and I'm taking the heat as well. <laughs> so, but anyways, we're you know just it, it's it's these games are about twenty to twenty five minutes. It's it's we we put a lot of effort into these. Uh, follow the uh, hockey podcast network on YouTube, like and subscribe, and all that fun stuff that uh, influencers like to say in their videos. Uh, just make sure you are following us so that on Thursday night at six p.m. Central Time, this is when we drop them. Um, you're you're watching some good old hockey. Uh, at, well, I would say it's hockey. I don't know if it's good, but uh, it's it's hockey nonetheless. It was entertaining. It's entertaining. Yes, that that's the important thing. It is very entertaining, and I do my best to to make them entertaining for you. So, um, also, uh, not not a lot of blues news this week. Although something interesting crossed the athletic this week. So the athletic did a. Uh, Kind of a fan poll of all 31 NHL uh, uh, broadcast rankings. So all 31 teams, they ranked them from best to worst. Uh, you'll be happy to know, uh, as a Blues fan, Wags, and also just as a uh, lover of good things, that uh, the worst team in the NHL for broadcasting is the Boston Bruins. Color me shocked. Locally, they uh, they didn't even have a lot of defenders locally, but non among non-local fans, no one likes the Boston Bruins NESN broadcast at all, which is uh, just so sad, so sad, so so so, 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 sad. so tragic. Uh, but anyway, the 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 good news is as we continue to as we finish kicking dirt on the Boston Bruins is uh, the St. Louis Blues. Uh, how did they rank in this list? Well, you know. Darren Pang's a national treasure, and we're lucky to have him. And John Kelly has developed into a very good TV broadcaster. And the fans of The Athletic recognize that because they were ranked number four in all 31 NHL TV broadcast rankings. That's a, that's a nice feather in our cap, Wags. Oh, it's great. I mean, it, it's nice to have uh, your local Midwest representation and something like that. Uh, you know, I, The Athletic strikes me as a as – a, nationwide uh, publication. So it's not, you're not going to have as much East West coast bias because you have so many local writers with it, but it's still nice to have something that's that national recognize our humble city and our humble broadcasters uh, so high in the rankings. Yeah. Among uh, locally based fans, uh, they uh, ask fans in each market, um, you know, to, 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 for rankings and among our fans, uh, we were fourth in terms of local devotion, I guess, to our, our broadcast team and then among non-local fans, so fans that are watching around the country that might tune in on NHL TV or, uh, you know, the uh, streaming games, um, seventh uh, uh, in the entire NHL. So even non-Blues fans like our broadcast, which is a feather in our cap. Uh, the Athletic goes on to note that uh, very few broadcasts manage to inspire fierce local devotion without sacrificing NHL-wide respect. The Blues are one of the few that manages to do so. And of those top five production uh, productions based on local voting, St. Louis is one of just two that also manages to finish in the top ten based on out-of-market responses. A lot of it is due to Darren Pang, 
Um, one Capitals fan said Pang is what gets the St. Louis Blues in the top five. Um, also, apparently a lot of fans from Arizona uh, backed Pang in the blue just because Pang used to be uh, their TV commentator back in the day, uh, which I actually did not know about until I read this article. Um, but yeah, apparently Coyotes fans have a lot of uh, fondness for him. One person said, quote, Darren Pang is an absolute gem and must be protected at all costs. Uh, <laughs> I tend to agree with that as well. Uh, and John Kelly, too. He got strong marks as well. Uh, one person said, quote, the heritage shows he educates the fans without talking down, fair to both teams and honest about the home team, end quote. And I got to agree with that. You know, John Kelly, when he took over for Ken Wilson, I thought he was kind of robotic and kind of stiff. Uh, but as time has gone on, and I think Darren Pang has helped with this, he's kind of, uh, I guess, come out of his shell a little bit, Wags. Oh, yeah, definitely loosened up. You can tell he cracks jokes and, you know, he starts to tell some risque stories a little bit here and there. Um, and you got to remember, he came from, obviously, he came from good stock with Dan Kelly. Obviously. But he also was in Colorado for a while. Yeah. And, you know, we talk all about, you know, how bad of an owner Stan Kroenke is. And, you know, it just it makes you think that maybe there were some strict guidelines and regulations that, you know, the broadcasters have to follow in Colorado. And Kelly had to stick with a straight lines, robotic sort of, you know, tenure while he was over there. And now with with the Blues, he's kind of free to express himself and be more humanistic and, and kind of relate a little bit more. But he also has, with Pang especially too, they have such great hockey knowledge. Yeah. It's like that one commenter said, they tell you about it without talking down to you about it. And they're also fair to both teams. You know, I, I talk about this to everybody that asks me why I enjoy listening to not only just the TV, but the radio broadcast as well, especially when uh, Kelly Chase is on there. But Joey Vitale does a good job of it as well. But they are explainers of the game. And they talk about the good and the bad for both teams. They don't celebrate when a good team, when, a, when the opposing team does something good, but they tell you about it and they say, wow, that was a really good play. And when the Blues do something bad, they're right there to say, look, that was yeah. a mistake. That was a bad play. They're fair to both teams. And that's what's amazing. And I think that's why they're in the top, in the top five, really. Yeah, really, and that's, uh, it's, it's, I think it just show, goes to show how lucky we are as Blues fans to have had such good broadcasting, not just with this pair, but just over the years. I mean, Federko was a good co contributor for a long time. Of course, I grew up with Ken Wilson. I mean, that's just, that's the voice of my childhood when it comes to the Blues. Um, I loved Ken Wilson, uh, even though I heard he was a raging prick to deal with, you know, but you know, he, he was, he was great. Joe Micheletti. I mean, he and uh, Wilson and Micheletti were like, you know, my introduction to hockey basically. And of course, Micheletti now is up in, uh, with the uh, Rangers now. Um, by the way, one more thing about the blues broadcast, the only knock that uh, fans had was that they felt that the blues broadcast could do better incorporating modern analytics, uh, stop talking about plus minus one guy said, and give me expected goals. Uh, I think that's something that's just going to have to develop over time. I don't think you can suddenly like start talking about Corsi numbers, you know, when you're talking about players. I mean, it would, it would seem kind of awkward and a lot of fans wouldn't catch up on that. But uh, what do you think? I mean, do you, I mean, do you think that we need more analytics in our broadcast? I think that it can be incorporated a little bit more just because it is seems to be the direction that uh, sports are going. I mean, you see the Cardinals are kind of integrating things like launch angle and exit velocity and stuff into their broadcasts, uh, but it is something that you have to explain. 
you have to have a crash course in what this really means. And a lot of fans, especially a lot of hockey fans, they just want to see the game played. And some of them don't even care about statistics at all. They just care yeah. about goals and assists. They don't even care about plus minus even. But I think with the way the, the league is going, especially with the on-ice uh, tracking and things that are going to be coming down the pipeline here very, very soon, um, I think it's something that needs to be integrated slowly and a little bit. I think, to be perfectly honest, this time right now without hockey, if they were able to start putting together some specials on these different statistics to start educating the hockey fan base, this is the perfect time to do it because it's, it's hockey content, but it's also informational and structured so that people can understand what they're going to be talking about when hockey comes back. I mean, they were doing some, I mean, the really cool thing is the Blues did this year. They took you inside the production truck and, and did about three or four episodes of, of that and just kind of showed you what was going on there. If they were able to do something along those lines where it talks a little bit more about what these statistics mean and what these people are talking about and are able to put that on, you know, either TV or on the internet, people can watch it. It doesn't affect when they watch the games because there are no games going on right now. Exactly. But when they do come in, they know what they're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, by the way, the Blues uh, did very well just as a whole, and the Central Division did well as well in this uh, poll here. The one team that didn't do well was uh, the Minnesota Wild at number 29 uh, overall. They kind of have a rebuilding, rotating analyst kind of a thing going on up there. Uh, Colorado Avalanche also got dog. They got, uh, ranked number 28th. Uh, they're of course, uh, altitude sports, um, Mark Mosier and, uh, Peter McNabb doing color. Uh, but of course, I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that Stan Kroenke's an ass and he owns altitude sports and, uh, you can't watch the Avalanche in their own market unless you have like, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's a weird situation there, but that's cronky for you, I guess. <laughs> but then you have to go uh, quite a little ways until you get to the next Central Division team. Number 21, the Nashville Predators. Of course, former Blue uh, Chris Mason doing uh, color for them now. Um, also just a big part of their uh, pregame package at games. Uh, let's see here. Moving on down here to, well, future Central Division uh, team. Arizona Coyotes are at number 17. Another former blue, uh, Tyson Nash, is doing color for them. Uh, and then moving on up here, the Winnipeg Jets are at number 15 overall. They have former blue Ray Ferraro doing color for them. Uh, a lot of former blues uh, on uh, on the broadcast. Of course, Ferraro had a cup of coffee uh, with the blues, as you uh, may well know. Uh, moving on down, now we're into the uh, top 10. The number 9 team is Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, uh, Pat Foley on play-by-play, Eddie Olchick and Steve Conroy doing color. That's a good team. Um, a very good team. And I, 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 I may not like the Hawks very much, but I, if I'm forced to watch just the Hawks broadcast of a Hawks-Blues game, I wouldn't feel too bad about it, basically. That's, that's saying something. And then, of course, as the aforementioned Blues at number four, but there was one team that did better than the St. Louis Blues in this poll, and that was uh, the Dallas Stars at number two. Uh, they, uh, they have, uh, Josh Bogorad and Daryl Ray doing color. And, um, one stars fan said, this team is a gem. Don't tell the rest of the world about them. Well, we just did. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, in case you're wondering the best broadcast team in, in the entire NHL, the Carolina hurricanes, uh, which is kind of a surprise actually, but, uh, uh, then again, I guess it shouldn't be because the Hurricanes are, they put so much into their, ever since they have their new ownership, they put so much into their new uh, kind of a new 
I don't know if it's like I don't know if marketing is the right word, but a lot persona. Lot, lot, yeah, their persona has like improved dramatically with their new ownership. The bunch of jerks, the uh, the the post game celebration that they do, and uh, now they have a top notch broadcast team. So there we go. Uh, Blues are fourth according to the Athletic in terms of TV broadcast teams. All right, now it's time to uh, get down to business here. And before we get down to the business, we have another word from our co-founder, Isha Jerome. This episode of the Blue Notes podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Whew. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will Thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below-the-belt grooming. All right. Thank you very much, each. And now... We are going to get down to business here with a bracket of our own. And, of course, uh, last week, as I mentioned, we did the before hole forwards, and uh, we mentioned at length about how how difficult it was to fill out this bracket because there were some obscure names, not a lot of uh, quality uh, in the past. And um, let's go ahead, and, and this was a bracket that I think played out about the way that we thought it would play out and uh there were uh, this was an upset free bracket wags yeah pretty much i mean we picked one upset in our bracket you know we picked uh, larry patey over wayne babich uh but the fans didn't agree with us they uh they had babich advancing 62 to 38 in the 710 uh matchup but starting from the top uh yeah it was pretty much runaways all over the board uh bernie federico 100 over blake dunlap Joey Mullen, the 75-25 over Perry Turnbull. Uh, Doug Gilmore, 86% over Mark Hunter, 14%. I think that was a little bit different than I thought. I thought Gilmore would run away with that even higher. Same. Uh, Red Berenson over Rick Mahar, 90-10. Gary Unger, 100% over Frank St. Marseille. Uh, Jorgen Pedersen, 75% to 25% over Greg Pizlowski. Uh, we talked about Babbage over Patey. And then Brian Sutter, 100% over Chuck Leffley. So pretty much chalk all the way down. Yeah, very chalky, and uh, I and, and quite frankly, I I can't argue with either one of those. I mean, Patey and Babich was was close. I mean, it, actually, that that what that voting was close for a while, and mm-hmm. then Babich kind of pulled away at the end. Um, one thing I I did kind of notice, I mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, I, I I had to do a double take when I looked at Red Berenson's hockey reference because I went down to transactions, and I think I may have even brought this transaction up last episode, and I kind of glossed over it. 
But Red Berenson was acquired by the St. Louis Blues uh, for some guys named Ron Stewart and Ron Atwell. And, oh, and by the way, the Rangers threw in Barkley Plager in that deal. And I got to think, that's got to be one of the biggest ripoffs in Blues history. I mean, you get, I mean, neither Plager nor Berenson were Hall of Famers, but, I mean, Barkley's number hangs from the rafters, and that just... And and then Ron Stewart and Ron Atwell were like they were both in their mid thirties. They only played a handful of games. I mean, did did the Blues send Luca Brazzi over to finish negotiations with that deal? I mean, that, I, what happened there? I, you know, I no clue. I mean, that is an absolutely huge deal. I mean, we talked a couple of podcasts ago about which team the Blues have fleeced the most, and the Rangers never entered into our conversation because no. we didn't really go back that far. Uh, but, yeah, that was probably one of the biggest trades. Now, I think that has to do partially with, with the expansion. I'm sure that there were some sort of dealings and inner workings that went along with that that made this deal possible. I mean, you saw a lot of that with Vegas, uh, this past expansion draft. I mean, obviously the rules have changed and all those things, but there are a lot yeah. of you know, under-the-table deals and promises and stuff like that. So I think that, that would be one of those uh, go-down-the-rabbit-hole trades, one to go down to really see the intricacies of it and see what – really became of that because there has to be more to that story than than what there is on the surface because that was a huge lopsided trade for the Blues. Yeah, and a quick Google search didn't reveal anything particular, but I think you might be right in the expansion thing and maybe there was something there had to have been some sort of other arrangement going on or some like pre-draft expansion draft agreement or something. Um but yeah, just one of the uh uh oddest deals and uh probably you know, one of the best deals in the Blues favor, uh, for sure. When you get not one, but two uh, Blues legends in a trade. Uh, but now we move on to the after hole forwards. These are the uh, forwards that uh, became Blues either on or after uh, Brett Hall arrived in St. Louis in the late 80s. And uh, this is uh, one bracket I've been looking forward to, Wags, just because uh, these are all players that we know. These are all players that we have opinions of. Um, and I'm, I'm, and I'm really curious to see how these play out. Why don't you, why don't you run down the, uh, the bracket for us? Yeah. And, and I'm going to start backwards this week. Cause I want to end with the, with the major one that we have at the top. So yes. I don't want to spoil it right away, even though we've talked about it. So, uh, starting from the bottom up in the two ten, uh, two fifteen matchup, we have Vladimir Tarasenko against Craig Janney. The uh, only seven... one I see, the only one I see being a route, by the way. I do too. And, and just looking at Janney's hockey reference profile, when we get to it, very interesting pathway that he had here in St. Louis. We'll talk about that. Uh, 7-10 matchup is Alex Steen against Pierre Turgeon. Uh, the 11-6 matchup is Jaden Schwartz against Doug Waite. Uh, a pretty interesting one that, that I'm very excited to see is number three, Keith Kachuk against 14, TJ Oshie. I want to see um, really what the fan favorite son, essentially, of St. Louis is in that one. Uh, the 13-4 matchup hits Scott Young against Pavel Dimitra. Uh, on the 5-12 here we could have a potential upset. I don't know, though. David Backus against Ryan O'Reilly could be a very interesting one. And the 8-9 matchup, Brendan Shanahan against Adam Oates. Another That's a good big-time matchup. And then our 1-16 matchup, and it's going to be contentious because people are going to be like, what? Brett Hall is the number one seed against 16 seed Wayne Gretzky. Let it be known that this is probably the first poll in hockey history where Wayne Gretzky comes in as a bottom seed. And, um, but when you think about his history with the Blues, maybe you understand a little bit. Uh, do you want to start there, or do you want to start with uh, from the bottom up again? 
I think we should start bottom up and yeah. make people wait for it. They but have to listen think, to the show. <laughs> think about it. Yeah, think about that one. But we're going to go ahead and start from the bottom up. So our first matchup, number two, Vladimir Tarasenko versus number 15, Craig Janney. Uh, Tarasenko, uh, of course, uh, he is a uh, two-time All-Star. He, uh, in 507 games, all with the St. Louis Blues, scored exactly 214 goals and 214 assists for 428 points. He is a plus 75 in his career. He is an offensive dynamo. He is probably the uh, Blues' best, you know, offensive, pure offensive threat since Brett Hall left. And he takes on uh, Craig Janney, who uh, a lot of Blues fans probably don't remember too fondly for one reason or another. Probably that one of the reasons probably is the fact that he was uh, the return for Adam Oates um, whenever Oates got traded away for some inexplicable reason. Um, Others might remember that uh, Brendan Shanahan stole Craig Janney's wife. Um, and generally Janney, while he was productive in his time in St. Louis, generally he was also soft as a, uh, uh, package of Charmin toilet paper. So, um, but yeah, as you, as you alluded to Wags, uh, Janney took an interesting path to, uh, St. Louis. Yeah. So he was, uh, obviously traded to the blues by Boston with Stefan Kintal for Adam Oates in uh, February 7th, 1992. And then this is where it gets really interesting. And on March 14th, 1994, Vancouver acquired uh, him from us uh, with our second round choice. It's turned out to be Dave Scratchard uh, as compensation for the Blues signing free agent, Peter Nedved. So once again, another uh, compensation thing that the Blues had to deal with, you know, the whole Scott Stevens thing. Well, just seven days later on March 21st, Vancouver traded him back to St. Louis for Jeff Brown, Brett Hedekin, and Nathan Lafayette. <laughs> Not well, to be outdone, uh, a year later, he was traded to San Jose, San Jose for Jeff Norton and future considerations along with cash. Like, come on. And then that's not even all. I mean, he was traded to Winnipeg by San Jose uh, a year after that for Darren Turcott in a second-round pick. And then he, uh, he, of course, traveled with the Jets to Phoenix – uh, people forget that Janney was a Phoenix Coyote. He was. Yep. Uh, and then he was traded to Tampa Bay for Louis DeBrusque in a fifth-round pick. And then he was traded one more time. That that was in 1998. Six months later, he was traded to New York uh, by Tampa for Toronto's sixth-round pick uh, in the 1999 entry draft. And then he was done. So he was a guy that was passed around an awful, awful lot. Um, the deal with the, uh, with the Canucks, you know, he was a Canuck for seven days, and I know uh, from from a lot of Canucks fans do not speak very highly of Craig Janney because apparently Craig Janney absolutely positively did not want to be a Vancouver Canuck, and he basically bitched his way back to St. Louis. That, yeah, he, that's crazy. He, he never even suited up for uh, uh, for the Canucks. That's. Uh, um, I mean, and, and this was this was a deal that was done in March. So I mean, he just he just sat there. Um, so for for the Canucks. So um, Janney's time in St. Louis. I mean, he did have four years. He had he was a, over a point per game guy. He had uh, 48 goals and 185 assists and for 233 points in just 186 games. But he was a minus 10. He was soft. 
He was not anyone that you particularly feared for, uh, unlike uh, Tarasenko, who is one of the most feared forwards in hockey. So, I'll say this: the fact that he was he was fifth in the Lady Bing in ninety two ninety three was Craig Janney. So I mean, because he, he was so nice, he was such a nice guy. He just he didn't <laughs> want to hit anybody. It's like I mean, no, that's an award you kind of you in hockey. That's an award you you don't want to win, but you kind of do want to win at the same time. It just depends on how you win it. Exactly, and of course, as I mentioned, uh, um, Tarasenko is a two time All Star. Uh, he actually also Tarasenko was second in the Bing running in yeah. uh, 2006 2017. So, uh, and also uh, even got some Selkie mentions uh, the year after that. So, I think this one's Tarasenko in a walk. Oh, no question. And, and the thing about Tarasenko is you, know, you talk about his offensive prowess. I mean, 37, 40, 39, 33, 33. So, a 30 plus goal scorer in the last uh, five years. Could have been another one this year if he didn't get hurt. But the thing that strikes me is his ability to play the two-way game. Uh, and that's really – it was really evident in between 2016-17 uh, and 2017-18. Uh, you know, he's always been a guy that's, you know, not been afraid to get in front of the puck. But, you know, he's, his block shots have gone up consistently every single year. His hits have gone up consistently every single year. His takeaways have gone up every single year as well. So, like, his, his focus on the defensive side of being a forward has been – truly remarkable and that's just something that you don't see a whole lot of from some of these star players you know they if they're offensively gifted they're going to play offense and they're not going to be as come back as a defender as you would like Tarasenko has really taken to heart with the guys his coaches have said over the last few years and really focused on that and it's shown on the ice yeah two a two-way Russian forwards uh, that that sounds like an oxymoron but that uh, Tarasenko has kind of developed into one and uh, it's 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 refreshing to see for sure. Also, of course, we can't mention Tarasenko without mentioning the the fact that he was probably one of the biggest trade heists, if not the biggest tri- trade heist in Blues history, uh, as he was acquired for uh, prospect David Runeblad. Uh, and of course, David Runeblad no longer plays in the NHL. And if you say the word David Runeblad around Chicago Blackhawks fans, you'll get a dirty look or two because Runeblad was not very good for the Blackhawks. Uh, when he played for them a couple years ago, so uh, the the Hawks can say Artemi Panarin and kind of get back at us, I guess. <laughs> I I guess I guess, but that's uh, that's about it. So, um, all right, our seven ten matchup now. We have uh, just checking real quick. Yep, our seven ten matchup is Alex Steen taking on number ten Pierre Turgeon. This one's an interesting one to me because. Alex Steen has been such a good soldier for so long. He is uh, in his 12th year uh, with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, another trade heist uh, by the Blues. He was acquired with Carlo Koliakovo from the Toronto Maple Leafs for Lee Stempniak. And uh, Stempniak is now kind of your, you know, he, you see his face in the dictionary next to the word journeyman because that's pretty much that's pretty much what he, uh, what he is. He's uh, had to keep a suitcase nearby him for most of his career. Um, but Steen, 12 years with the Blues. He has played 765 games, scored 195 goals, 301 assists for 496 points. He's a plus 50. Um, he is a uh, – he, he's not afraid to lay the body. He's a leader. He can play all over the uh, forward line. Just, just a good teammate, a good guy. 
uh, that that I, I don't think anyone speaks negatively of uh, on the Blues. Taking on a guy who I argue in a shorter period of time had much more of an offensive impact. Um, Pierre Turgeon played 327 games for the Blues, scored 134 goals, had 221 assists for 355 points. He was a plus 65 during his time with the Blues. Steen, in 12 years, a plus 50. And in terms of points, Turgeon had 355 points to Steen's 496, and he did so in over half the games. Um, I got my lean on this. You might suspect what my lean is on this. What uh, What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement with you there because Pierre Turgeon was a guy that in those mid-90s teams, he was he was my guy. Uh, I enjoyed <laughs> watching him play. Um, you know, whenever I would play NHL, I'd make sure Pierre Turgeon was on my top line. Uh, I actually, funny story, I, my first job was at a movie theater, and his family and him came in to see a movie, and mm-hmm. I got to wait on them at the concession stand as a 16-year-old. Um, and it was funny because he would speak English to me and then turn to his family and speak in French to get their order and then turn back to me and give me the order in English. And I was, I knew who he was and I was shaking in my boots, but it was a really, really cool experience to see him outside of hockey. And and just, you know, that was my first experience with a hockey player as being a normal person. And it just cemented it for me. I think that's why I love Pierre Terzan, uh, just because (laughs) he's a normal everyday man. But your point is perfect right there. 355 points in 327 games. You extrapolate that over the same course of time that Alex Steen has played for the Blues, and he blows him out of the water when it comes to points. Uh, the one thing I'll say for Alex Steen is, like you said, he's a, he's a warrior. He's a, he's a team player. My highlight for me with him is that shorthanded goal against L.A. in the playoffs. I don't remember Pierre Turgeon having that kind of moment for the Blues. So I think you may have that sticking out in fans' minds for Alex Steen that he produced that wow moment that everybody remembers whereas Pierre Turgeon was super solid and super good but never was one of those guys that really had one of those wow moments for the Blues and I think that might hurt him slightly yeah and it's it's interesting because uh, I also looked look back at Pierre Turgeon very favorably when he was a Blue I mean he kind of he was what the doctor ordered when the Blues acquired him they acquired him with uh Craig Conroy for uh, Shane Corson and Murray Barron essentially um, and of course, this was on October 29th, 1996, just a few months after the Blues lost Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were without a really dynamic playmaking forward. Uh, Shane Corson wasn't quite working out the way the Blues wanted him to. So uh, Corson goes back to Canada. Uh, Pierre Turgeon comes down here and really just kind of, you know, stabilized, you know, the top line for the Blues. I mean, I have so many mem- I know Turgeon was a guy he loved working behind the net. You know, yep. he was he was he was that that was his office basically and he was quarterbacking things uh, behind there and just a superb guy uh and, and and it's nothing against Alex Steen. I mean Steen as you said, he's a warrior, but in terms of I don't think he moved the needle for the Blues quite like Turgeon did. And, and and this is this is again kind of a one of those do you value long term production over short term impact? In this case, I I will go with the short term impact. I I'm I'm gonna pick Turgeon in this one, but it's it's pretty close. Um, and it's nothing against Steen so much. It's just that I think Turgeon's impact in his time was was greater. I mean, he was part of the team. 
uh, that uh, uh, the the president's trophy winning team um, in 99, 2000 as well. Um, so I, I'm going with Turgeon. Yeah, I agree. And you, know, you talk about him being here just shortly after Gretzky left. You talk about his game being behind the net. Well, that's that was Gretzky's game. Yeah. He was working behind the net. So, you know, it was more of a – I wouldn't say it was, I mean, obviously anything from Wayne Gretzky is a step down, but you were basically putting somebody in the same position that Gretzky would have occupied um, if he were here. So the team didn't have to adjust as much. And, and Terzan was probably, I would have to say, one of the top two or three guys behind Gretzky when it came to working behind the net and being able to distribute the puck. So it, it, it was a natural fit after they lost Gretzky. Um, obviously, you'd love to have Wayne here, but Pierre Turgeon was pretty damn good for the Blues. He really was. He really was. And, you know, he was a guy that the, the one knock that Pierre Turgeon had throughout his career was health. I mean, he seemed to always be a guy that would miss at least 10 to 15 games a year. I know he had concussion issues, uh, especially later on in his career after he left the Blues. Um, the Blues got his best years, definitely. And when it came time for him to walk, he left as a free agent to go to Dallas. He just was not the same player in Dallas. And then uh, for a cup of coffee in Colorado either. So, uh, which you forget that Turgeon was an avalanche until you look at his hockey reference. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 that's the one knock on Turgeon, but even still when he was on the ice, he was a dynamic playmaker for sure. So I'm going Turgeon in this one. I'm going right there with you. Once again, not a knock on Alex Steen. Love the guy. I've been critical of him in the past, but he has been a rock for St. Louis and for him to have lifted the cup with the blues. Not only does it suck for Toronto, but it's great for us. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, and then that leads us to another matchup that I think could be an upset special. Number six, Doug Waite versus number 11, Jaden Schwartz. And, of course, if you were a Blues fan in the 2000s, you know, Doug Waite was one of the pillars of the team alongside Keith Kachuk uh, on that first line. Uh, he played six years for the Blues, 364 games, 75 goals, 220 assists for 295 points. He was a plus 14 during his time with the Blues, and uh, he was also a leader on this uh, on the team as well. Uh, he wore the C, didn't he? Um, I don't. I'd have to double check. I don't think he did. I think Dallas Drake did. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It was Drake. But then I, yeah, I know he wore one either the C or the A. I think. I think. Yeah, he, definitely he made, an A. He may have been in the, he he may have been just an A, um, and then he takes on uh, Jaden Schwartz, who has played nine years for the St. Louis Blues, so he's had a longer tenure than Wade did already, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, Five hundred twenty games played, one hundred forty six goals, two hundred eighteen assists for three hundred sixty four points, and he is a plus seventy two in his career with the Blues. So, um, you look at the numbers. I mean, if you were to like average out Doug Waits numbers over the course of a nine year career. I think these two are pretty close. Um, Doug Wade, of course, was a leader on this team. He kind of helped carry the team for a long time. Whereas Jaden Schwartz has never really been the guy for the blues, but he's still been a damn good forward. Um, this is a tough one. I, I need to think on this wags. What do you think? Hey, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's tough. Cause I mean, Doug Wade was, one of those guys that came in during the uh, post-lockout scenarios. He was here before that and after that, uh, but he helped kind of rebuild the Blues, essentially, because he was a guy that was traded to Carolina, came back, and then was traded again. Uh, So the Blues were able to kind of 
use him just like they were using Keith Kachuk to kind of make some moves. And the moves didn't really pan out perfectly for the Blues when they traded Doug Waite. Uh, the only one that really happened to pan out was when they traded him to Anaheim for Andy McDonald. Uh, yeah. Andy McDonald was phenomenal for the Blues. I uh, loved him here. And quite, uh, but, and quite honestly, if I if I wasn't being cheeky with Wayne Gretzky, he might be number sixteen. Exactly, exactly. I mean, he was Andy McDonald was the the better duck that we got uh, outside of Paul Correa. Uh, Paul <laughs> Correa was he was he was the name. He was the guy that was supposed to bring people back into the seats, and he did. Uh, but Andy McDonald was great. But Doug Waite was just he was another one of those guys. He was the post Turgeon guy for me. It was Doug Waite. He was gritty. He was he was just good. He never put up a ton of points, but he always seemed to. Uh, come up in the clutch. And and that's the same thing that can be said for Jaden Schwartz too, which is crazy. Um, you know, with the injury history that Jaden Schwartz has had, he's still a clutch goal scorer. I mean, I, he was the most snake bitten player in the league last year um, until the postseason. And then when he got that hat trick against Winnipeg to seal that series, you just, I turn to my brother and I go, you better watch out because Jaden Schwartz is back and he can just go on a run uh, I mean, as evidence, I mean, he had 24 goals back in 17-18. He had 22 this year uh, before everything kind of stopped. Uh, so he's a guy that can score a lot. And you can see that with the, his 146 in, in 520 games. You know, it's not a lot. And obviously, Doug Wade, if you put it out his nine-year career with the Blues, it would be roughly the same. But Jaden Schwartz is a very underrated player. And I think he's going to give Doug Wade a run for his money in this matchup. Yeah, and it, it, it's it, this is really a tough, tough a tough one to call because I look at Jaden Schwartz's playing history and injury history, and you can say, yeah, he's injury prone; he can't stay on the ice. Well, Doug Waite has had his own issues with that. I mean, he was always a guy that missed at least ten to fifteen per year, it seemed, with something. Uh, he only played one full eighty-two game year with the Blues, and that was in his age thirty-six year of two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, you can he, he's a guy that you can definitely argue had his best years in Edmonton, especially the year before he became a St. Louis Blue. Um, Jaden Schwartz, he he, and then on the flip side of that, Jaden Schwartz is a guy who you could argue that his best years were his age twenty one and twenty two seasons back in 2013, 14 and 2014, 15. He's a guy that has not really evolved, um, but he's still a solid forward. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's just that I think a lot of people are thinking that, you know, Jaden Schwartz was going to take off and instead he's just been generally the same player he's been. Um, but then again, Doug Waite was also kind of the, you know, same thing with him. So I can't really knock Schwartz for that when Schwartz was the same, when Waite was kind of a similar guy as well. So it's, these are almost like, this is like an apples to apples comparison here. They're, they're, they're very similar, uh, type of players. The only thing I'll say, the, the the one thing that puts for me weight ahead of Schwartz, and I and that's who I'm going to go with. I think is Doug Waite, is because he was more productive in a shorter period of time. Uh, he had 220 assists in 364 games. Schwartz had 218 assists in 520 games, and between the two, Schwartz has. Uh, about 71 goals more than Wade did, and he has played uh, basically about 100 and I think it's 160 more games. It's mm, it's tough, but I, I I'm leaning weight on this one. Yeah, but it's I'm, I'm, it, it's tough. I'm splitting hairs as well. I mean, I think 
I think for weight, the thing that's going to tip it is just the fact that we have a longer, a better track record with him. I mean, yes, Schwartz has played 520 games at the Blues, but weight has a track record pre and post Blues that shows what kind of player he is. I still think with Jaden Schwartz, we're I'm not saying that we don't know who what kind of player he is, but we still don't really know what kind of player he is. I mean, he he scores goals, he plays pretty good defense. Um, but is he a top line guy? Is he a third line guy? I still don't think we 100% know that yet. And I think with Wade, I think the longevity is the one thing that right now puts him over the top for me. Yeah, Wade always anchored the first line. There was no doubt about that. And then you do have the question of, okay, where do you put Schwartz and how and what is he going to be? I don't think, uh, in, in when we look back on Jaden Schwartz when he's done, you could say that he was a bona fide first line guy. You can't say he was a third line guy. Maybe we call him a second line guy. I mean, he second was he, he 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 was a first line guy on a bad team or a third line guy on a really good team. Uh, you know, one of those types. Um, it just it's kind of a floater. Um, for me, the I I think it's it's weight. It's just it just yeah. I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's weight and move on before I change my mind again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So our next matchup is going to be uh this one's interesting. Uh you 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 put an interesting matchup here together. Um number three Keith Kachuk versus number fourteen T J Oshi. Before I get to my thoughts, explain explain this matchup. You know, Wags, why, uh, I mean, it, it's an interesting comparison. It is. I mean, Keith Kachuk, when you think of the Blues, you think of Keith Kachuk. I know there's many, many other guys out there like Hall and, and Tarasenko and guys like that that you're like, oh, yeah, definitely. But when you say Keith Kachuk, there's something about that name that goes, yeah, that's St. Louis. That is blue collar, go to the front of the net, jam away at the puck, lose some teeth, pure hockey blues player. Keith yep. Kachuk, that's what it is. TJ Oshie is a guy that uh, was very good in St. Louis, but has taken it to another level in Washington. He was a huge fan favorite. I mean, the girls just crushed over TJ Oshie <laughs> every, the entire time he was here. There's still girls that crush over TJ Oshie. <laughs> and yeah. when, when Washington comes to town, they flock here. There's, there's a reason Oshie was voted into the All-Star game this year by the fans because he had such a fan base here in St. Louis and Washington. And when putting this together, it was like, which one of these guys truly is the St. Louis favorite? Because Keith Kachuk has his fan base, and you know he has both his two of his sons are in the NHL. They were part, you know, they're part of the historic St. Louis group that went in in the, in the NHL draft a few years ago. Um, but then you pair him up against T.J. Oshie, who's the favorite son, and the uh, he's the responsible partier that Eric Johnston wasn't. So he's a, he's a guy that I'm interested to see what fans will look at. Will they look at the production and what Keith Kachuk did for the Blues? Or are we going to look at what TJ Oshie did when, in his time here? And is it more because of the player he was, what happened in Sochi, or the good looks? We'll put it that way. It's, a good, it, it's interesting there. And I, I look at this matchup as, you know, as you said, Keith Kachuk was the face of the Blues in the 2000s, uh, for sure. Uh, and he was a fan favorite in St. Louis because of his play style. As you mentioned, he was a power forward and uh, just a tough guy in general. And 
in a lot of ways, I always looked at Keith Kachuk and TJ Oshie as a bit of a, ta- a passing of the torch moment. I thought TJ Oshie was going to pick up where Kachuk left off, at least, I mean, maybe not in style, but in terms of being a face of the franchise type. It seemed like Oshie was destined to be that guy for a long time because he was he was part of that crop of youngsters uh, alongside Patrick Berglund and David Perron that were supposed to be the future of this team. And then Petrangelo as well was kind of in that mix as well. And for Oshie, I, I don't want to say it didn't work out because, I mean, he had a, I mean, his time with the Blues was, was fine. Uh, I mean, he had 110 goals, 200 assists in, uh, for 310 points and 443 games played. And he was a plus 71. So he was productive, but you always felt as a Blues fan, there was something more with him that just wasn't coming out for whatever reason. And when he was traded to Washington, it kind of felt like, okay, he needed to change his scenery. He needed to move on. It's kind of like what I was talking about um, when we were talking about Perry Turnbull last week and then Eric Johnson before that. Um, You you have guys that are drafted high um, or at least come in with high expectations. Oshie was a 24th overall pick, so he wasn't like, you know, uh, Eric Johnson first overall or Turnbull second overall. But he still had seemingly the same amount of expectation with him because he was a bright light in a dark era for the Blues when he emerged in 2008. Because you know the mid 2000s Blues were just an absolute train wreck after you know after the lockout. Um, so I think fans, unf- a little unfairly, probably put a lot of hope on Oshie to you know carry the franchise forward into the future, and he didn't quite do it. And I think in his time in Washington, I think it's kind of he's kind of shown that he's better as a complementary piece, yep. you know, to to a Backstrom, to an Ovechkin, you know, to a Kuznetsov. I mean, he's got support there. In St. Louis, I think he was asked to carry too much a little bit, you know, in terms of expectation as well as on ice play. He was still a good player, don't get me wrong, um, but. It, at the same time, he was kind of a victim of his own of, of his own hype. Um, whereas whereas Kachuk, I mean, he came in uh, when the Blues acquired him. You know, we knew what Keith Kachuk was by that point. He had played over 300 games in Phoenix, and he was a power forward, goal scorer. Uh, that you know, we knew what he was. And generally, with the Blues, he was what he was: 543 games, 208 goals, 219 assists, 427 points. Um, and of course, 677 penalty minutes because he was an aggressive type of a player. Um, I don't think anyone can look back at Kachuk and say his time in St. Louis was disappointing. Absolutely not. I think a lot of people can look back at Oshie and his time in St. Louis and say it was disappointing. So I think that's going to drag Oshie down a little bit. But in terms of making the apples to apples comparison, I would still go with Kachuk anyway just because his contribution to the Blues was longer and he was still a positive force in a... He, he kind of gets like the Gary Unger vote for me in that he was a positive force in a team for a lot of bad St. Louis teams. And uh, I still have his uh, Blues jersey, uh, an old coho from the mid-2000s. It was one of my first hockey jerseys ever, actually. And uh, he was one of my favorites growing up. So I'm going to go with Kachuk in this one. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, as far as Oshie's concerned, I think it was a little bit too much too fast when it came yep. to what the Blues were doing for him. Because, yeah, they paired him on the kid line with Berglund and Perron, and they 
could have been a dynamic group, but that was once again during those times where the Blues were so bad that that kid line was essentially the first line. And putting that much pressure and that those many expectations on those kids at the time definitely hurt them. Uh, I The thing with it is, is you talk about him being paired with Ovechkin and now Backstrom. Could you imagine him being paired with a mature David Perron and a Vladimir Tarasenko right now? Oh, oh, it'd be incredible. Or, or yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be or just with O'Reilly and Perron. I yep. mean, that that would be a heck of a line. Uh, having him paired with uh, Shen and Schwartz would be a would be a heck of a line. I mean, it's it's yeah. I I think I think the if the timing was better for Oshie, his time here in St. Louis would have been a lot better, and he he definitely had the potential for being you know to have his number hanging from the rafters. Definitely. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely. But, uh, but yeah, for me, hands down, it's definitely Keith Kachuk. I mean, his point totals are never going to be as high as what Oshi probably can produce, but he still had some of his best seasons here. I mean, 75 points in 0102, 71 points in 0304. Um, he, he did have a little bit of injury history here in St. Louis. He did miss a couple of games here and there. Uh, never really played a full season, but he was also in his, you know, late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties when he was with St. Louis. So the, the, the time management, the, the, the health management was definitely prevalent with, with Kachuk, especially with him being a bruiser that he was. Um, but, uh, you know, he was traded back and forth between us and the Thrashers a couple of different times. Yep. Uh, the Blues could have had Zach Bogosian possibly because uh, that pick was traded back and forth between the Blues and in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. In uh, the original exactly February right. 20, yeah, the February 25th, 2007 trade, uh, we got the pick that became Bogosian, but then we traded it back for uh, Kachuk in, 07, in June of 07. So, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting the the progression. A lot of these guys in this in this bracket have had an interesting trade history when it comes to what they've done for the Blues and against the Blues, and uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Mikel Backlund actually uh, was uh, could have been a Blue as well because. Yeah. He was traded uh, – that pick was traded for us, uh, for Kachuk, in that, that February deal. So, yeah, I mean, you could have had some interesting players on the Blues from it. It never became of it, but, you know, it is what it is, and I think we got the best out of Kachuk, and uh, that's who my pick is. It's always it's always fun to, you know, look back at those trades and wonder what could have been for sure. And, you know, I, I the, the biggest thing I remember about the Kachuk and Atlanta, you know, dealings there was that it felt kind of like the Blues became like a rent-a-center you know, and and the Thrashers put down a deposit on Kachuk of a first round pick, and then you know at the off season they got it back when the Blues got Kachuk back. So, um, yeah, rent a stud, I guess we'll call it uh, for uh, for that dealing. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Kachuk loves that. He's a uh, rent a stud. Oh, that's gonna yes. get him as inflated as he was that one training camp. Oh, I yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I hope he's listening and uh, and ho- and hopefully he's uh, he and uh, his kids and his family's doing all right and all this. Um, next matchup, uh, number four, Pavel Dimitra versus number thirteen, Scott Young. Uh, this is another one I think could be a walkover just simply because Scott Young was good for the Blues. I mean, he played 377 games, scored 125 goals, assisted 129, and then had 254 points. He was a plus 14. Uh seemed to be a he, he was a good forward. I mean, he was good, generally inoffensive uh in terms I mean, like you know, I don't think he had a lot of detractors or anything like that. Pavel Dimitra though was it was to me was just on a completely different level wags. Oh yeah, he is a 
favored son here in St. Louis. And that was before, you know, the plane crash that took his life. I mean, people were, people were upset when he left the blues and finished his career, you know, away from St. Louis. A lot of people thought he was going to retire as a blue and maybe even go into the hall of fame as a blue because, you know, he never put up a ton of points. I mean, he had a, he had a year where he had 93 points for the blues, 2002, 2003, uh, he just was dynamic for us and he scored clutch goals. He had excitement and energy and he also embraced the city as well. Uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, you thought when his career ended, he was going to be back in St. Louis, living his life here, raising a family, being a part of the blues alumni, all of those things. And uh, it's just, it, it's tragic what ended up happening. Uh, but he made such an impact here in St. Louis that fans will remember him forever. And it, that's something that as good as Scott Young was here, uh, that's never going to happen for Scott Young. No, 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 it was not. And, you know, the, the biggest thing I remember about Demetra, you know, growing up during the time when he uh, arrived in St. Louis uh, was he kind of, you know, I, I kind of talked about how, you know, I felt Oshi was picking up the torch a little bit from Kachuk. I thought Demetra was kind of picking up the torch that Brett Hall left. Yeah. Because he, because Hall left right about the time that that Demetra arrived, and he was kind of that answer, you know, for as far as being a dynamic offensive forward that Hall was. Uh, Demetra was kind of it. Um, the issues that Demetra had in St. Louis were number one, health. He did have some health issues during his time. He only played 44 games in 2000, for instance. Uh, he always seemed to miss a couple games here and there. And the other thing that kind of dragged him down a little bit is I remember him being very inconsistent. He was one of those guys that could score in bunches and just absolutely blow your mind. And then he'd kind of disappear sometimes. You know, he he was he was kind of a streaky forward, uh, which which a lot of forwards are. I mean, Jaden Schwartz is a streaky forward. He's the you know modern day definition of one. Um, but it, it it's it's not. But when they do when he does produce, he's great. Uh, and Demetra was the same way. I mean, Demetra was an unbelievable scorer at times. I mean, he, you know, in his time with the Blues, he was essentially a point per game guy. 494 games played, 493 points. He had 204 goals and 289 assists. He was a lot, and, and I think history looks back at Pavel Demetra and doesn't really realize how great that he was. It doesn't I mean, do him justice. He he's never mentioned among the like the the among the greats. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's in the Hall of Very Good, I think. Um, but he, you know he he's a guy that won he won the Bing. You know, Lady Bing in the two th- in nineteen ninety nine two thousand. He was always you know around the All Star discussion. He even was the year that he won the Bing. Uh, he was actually sixth in Selkie. You know, in the Selkie voting, which you know, people forget that Demetra was also a two-way guy. You yeah. know, he was he was a decent defensive forward. Um, even when I had heart consideration in 1988-99 as well. So I love Pavel Demetra growing up. I was I was heartbroken when he was when I heard he was in that plane crash. You know, and because he's he's a guy that, uh, um, you know, he was still playing at the time. But when he was done, I could have seen him maybe in a front office role with the blues, um, you know, or at least, uh, at least associated with the team in some way, shape or form. Um, tragic what happened. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, Scott Young, you know, he he was a decent player. I mean, he was, he was fine, but he was never an answer for anyone. He was kind of, he kind of bounced around a little bit himself. 
Um, so I, I think Demetra wins this one. This one might be pretty much all Demetra. I wouldn't be surprised if um, he sweeps this one. Yeah, and same here. I mean, 45 game-winning goals in his career for St. Louis. Two, two years where we had 10 game-winning goals. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, that tells you, once again, how clutch he is. And even though he was a streaky goal scorer, you know, you look at what David Perron did this past year with the overtime goals. You know, that's that's what Pavel Demetra was pretty much every year he was in St. Louis. He was just a clutch goal scorer. Um, but you know, Scott Young, he did. He had a, he had his best best part of his career in St. Louis. He actually had 20 game winning goals in his career for the True. Blues. Uh, so he was a clutch, was clutch goal scorer. He was very good, and he was another one of those guys in that time. And he played here at the same time as Demetra for a few years. Uh, he went back and forth between the Blues and Dallas at the end of his career. Uh, split time, you know, 02 through 04 in Dallas and then back and finished his career with the Blues in 05, 06 and still put up pretty good numbers that year. Year 38, he ended up having 49 points, but he was yeah. a minus 32. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, not he, very he, good there. He was at the end of his string there. But I, the, the biggest thing for me here is I, I remember when Demetra and Young were together on the Blues and I, I cannot say at any point in time did I think that Young was a better forward than Demetra. No. Not at so, all. So that 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 that's pretty much the answer right there. So yep, I'd say Demetra. And that, that's what makes it uh, this matchup really good is because you you could compare them because they did play together and essentially on the same line. So that helps. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they, 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 did, they did play together, too, on the same line, yeah. too, a few times. I do, I do remember that. So, all right, next matchup here. This one is uh, this one is going to be one of the more hotly debated ones, I think. Um, and God, this one's going to be tough. Number <laughs> n- number uh, number five, David Backus versus number twelve, Ryan O'Reilly, and we find ourselves once again facing the question of long-term production and general ambassadorship for the Blues versus short-term impact. Short-term impact won in this bracket earlier for us when uh, when we picked uh, Pierre Turgeon over Alex Steen. Similar type of a matchup here where we have David Backus who played 10 years in St. Louis. Uh, basically, you know, as much as I say that as I thought that TJ Oshu was picking up the torch for Kachuk, for me, it actually ended up being Backus was more of a Kachuk type of a forward. In fact, he was more aggressive than Kachuk was. Uh, 727 games played, 206 goals, 254 assists for 460 points. It was a plus 65, nearly had a thousand penalty minutes for the Blues, 969, which, uh, you know, in the 2000s and early 2010s is saying something. Um, Taking on Ryan O'Reilly, who is quickly becoming one of the faces of the franchise. Uh, Arguably, you can even say he's the face of the franchise with uh, Tarasenko out and, um, you know, O'Reilly winning all those awards at the uh, end of the uh, playoffs last year. Uh, the Selkie, the Smythe, and just amazing run last year for Ryan O'Reilly. O'Reilly, 153 games played in the regular season, 40 goals, 98 assists for 138 points. He's a plus 33, only has 22 penalty minutes. He's a very gentlemanly player. He's always been in the Bean conversation. He actually does have a Bean trophy back from his time in Colorado. So what do you think, Wags? I mean, O'Reilly has... O'Reilly has the cup. O'Reilly has the trophies. Backus has the longevity. And for a while, he kind of was the face of the franchise himself. 
God, where do we go with this? I, I don't know. I mean, and you look at you look at, at Ryan O'Reilly. He is definitely more offensively gifted than uh, David Backish was. I mean, last year he put up 77 points, a career high. But he's for the most part, he is an he averages about 55 to 60 points almost every single year he's been in the league. Whereas you look at Backish, and you know, 62 points has been his career high. So he's never been like a super high offensively gifted player the role he played was the Keith Kachuk role he would go to the front of the net he would you know knock in the rebounds he would be the screen guy uh, all those kind of things but he also was never a huge uh, you know a power play guy either I mean you would think he would be a guy that would get a ton of power play points a ton of power play minutes a lot of goals I mean he's had two seasons where he had 10 power play goals Ryan O'Reilly same situation. He, he's never been huge on the power play either. 15 goals uh, for Buffalo and 17-18 on the power play. Uh, but, you know, he's definitely a guy that gets the assist on the on the man advantage, whereas David Backus never really – he broke – he got to 10 assists once. Ryan O'Reilly is definitely more productive on the power play. So if you're looking at sheer offensive ability, no question it's Ryan O'Reilly, even in the short amount of time that he's been here. But then you get – you flip it over and you look at defensively. Defensively, they're both really, really good defensively. Both of them, they they both been in the Selkie conversation almost every year they've been in the league. Obviously, O'Reilly has won the Selkie, but Backus was going up against you know, you know the the Red Wings of the time, and and just he had a lot of uh, and Patrice Bergeron. He had a lot of competition for the Selkie. He ended up finishing second in eleven twelve. Fifth and 12, 13, fourth and 13, 14, fourth and 14, 15. So he was always in that Selkie conversation. So he was another one of those guys that was a great two way forward. Ryan O'Reilly's the same way. It's just so damn hard because Backus was the face of the Blues and my favorite player. I model my game of hockey off of what David Backus did. You know, just the grind it out, go to the front of the net, jam in the rebounds, just be a complete pest and distraction as much as possible. Um, but, man, Ryan O'Reilly won us a cup. <laughs> he did. He did. And it's he, – here's the thing. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think I'm going O'Reilly just for one reason. Uh, I mean, because because as you said, they're very – I mean, they're uh, – you've laid out your argument perfectly. Here's the thing that puts O'Reilly ahead as, as I take the tongue out of the back of my mouth. <laughs> um, it's the playoffs. Ryan O'Reilly has played 26 playoff games with the St. Louis Blues and has 23 points. David Backus played 49 playoff games with the Blues and had 27 points total during his entire run with the St. Louis Blues. Take away 2015 and 2016 where he played 20 playoff games and had 14 points you're talking about 29 games in the playoffs and just 13 points. Yeah, that's a good he, argument. He he was not an epic playoff guy. Um, you know, I mean, O'Reilly had the ability to take over games. I mean, who can forget what he did in the during the seven game series with Boston? He was, I mean, he had didn't he break the record for consecutive games with uh, what was it, consecutive goals or consecutive points? Something along those lines. Yeah, he, yeah. there was a record. That he, that's the reason he won the Consumite. It's just he he took over that series. I mean, when the Blues were down, he willed them to score the first goal in, in a couple of games. And you know, just he just that game. Uh, what was it? Game five in Boston. That backhand goal against Rask when he comes up front and Sanford passes it between his legs. No look. I mean, that was just. I mean, 
that's just something you don't see in the playoffs. And they both had the guts to do it, and he finished it. And he just elevated his game over what he did in the play over the regular season last year. It, it was yeah, that that is a great great argument. I mean, that, and that's what it's going to probably have to come down to is those small little pieces of hey, this is what he did in the playoffs versus Bacchus. That's going to be the only thing that really makes a difference, I think. Yeah, and and you look at O'Reilly just in what he did in uh, 2018, 2019, Selkie winner, Smythe winner, Stanley Cup winner, second in the Lady Bing. He almost won another freaking trophy. <laughs> he did. Uh, he was 13th in the Heart running, and of course this this season he was in the All Star game. David Backus was never an All Star, which is kind of mind blowing when you think about it. He never was an All Star. Hmm. That's crazy. And, and, I mean, he as you mentioned, he did have Selkie considerations, but he never won the Selkie, never won the Cup, wasn't particularly a great playoff performer, a very good player and a very good warrior that I think all Blues fans will remember fondly. Oh. I'm giving this to O'Reilly. You know what? I think I, you've I, convinced me as much as I love David Backus. I think you've convinced me. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see what the fans say about this. I, I am too. In fact, I'm probably going to make this my first poll on Monday just because it's 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 such a tough argument because you have Bacchus has such a body of work to work against, whereas O'Reilly's been a blue for, you know, one and three quarters of a season. But what O'Reilly has done in that one and three quarters of a season is phenomenal. It's the same conundrum that's going to happen when Bennington starts getting deep into uh, the goalie region yeah. and starts going up against goalies with with bigger track records. Um, it's just it's, but it's at the same time it's hard to argue against trophies and success. Well, and also look at what Ryan O'Reilly was the year before he came to St. Louis. The the post season interview he gave in Buffalo when it almost seemed like he had lost his, his love for hockey yeah, and to come to St. Louis and essentially be the only guy that was producing early on in that season when the blues were struggling. I mean, it just shows you what kind of work ethic he has, what kind of drive he has and, and what St. Louis and the blues have really mean to him is essentially it restored his love of hockey and it helps when you win a Stanley cup and all those awards, but it really kind of turned his career back around and it was a really good career before that. So, you know, I think Ryan O'Reilly is, is the clear winner in this one for me. I, when the blues made that trade and I'll never forget seeing that Pierre Lebrun tweet, yeah. uh, hearing, hearing uh, Ryan O'Reilly has been traded to the St. Louis blues. I'm going to get that made into a shirt someday uh, because I'll never forget where I was. I was in my house in South Bend, Indiana, and it was the afternoon of the, of the opening day of free agency and up to that point, the Blues had signed Tyler Bozak, uh, David Perron, and Chad Johnson. Yep. And it was looking like that was going to be it. And it was going to be another one of those, oh, God, you know, this is another one of those offseason. We didn't get what we wanted. You know, it's going to be another long year, blah, blah, blah. You know, typical Blues groaning. And it was like it was like 4 or 5 o'clock Eastern time when, when, when I saw that tweet come down. And I was done. I was pretty much just sitting there. Uh, I had my laptop out. I was just kind of, you know, just checking the, you know, final transactions of the day, the non-stars that, you know, go to teams, you know, the, you know, the least Stepniaks of the world, basically. And then like a bolt of lightning, there's that Pierre Lebrun, Lebrun tweet. And there was no speculation, no scuttlebutt. The thought was that Buffalo was going to keep O'Reilly. 
and I, I saw that trade and I lost my breath. <laughs> and then I saw what the Blues gave up and I shrieked like a schoolgirl. School yep. I kid you not. They took Berglund and Sabotka. Oh my God. And I, uh, that, that, that was, that was my reaction. It was, it was just the most unbelievable trade ever. And they didn't have to give up a Costin or a Kyrie. They gave up Tage Thompson, who, you know, looked outmatched in his first year and, you know, up on the blues. And it was just, it was, it was a masterstroke. It was. And I knew, and I knew it was a masterstroke. A lot of people were saying that O'Reilly, you know, he, you know, he's not a number one center. He's, uh, you know, he lost his love for the game, blah, blah. He's one of those guys that I look, I, you know, he does a lot of the little things that I love. I mean, he's a, he's an expert two way forward, one of the best face off guys in hockey. And I, and, and, and he's got leadership quality in him. It's just that in Buffalo, he wasn't Jack Eichel, you know, there, Eichel, there's nobody to lead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, exactly. So it was just like, I, I, I knew that I, I knew in my heart that the O'Reilly trade was going to be a good one for the blues. And I, it actually has been exceeded my expectations. I think it's exceeded, exceeded a lot of expectations and the feeling that I feel, you know, that you just heard from me when it came to Ryan O'Reilly, never felt that about Bacchus. You know what? Yeah, I can say 100% I agree with you on that one. I mean, I was devastated when he didn't sign with the Blues uh, before going to Boston. But knowing what he was going to get, I was okay with him going away because you knew that it was, you know, he wasn't worth that kind of money. He just happened to be a product of the environment that he was in. You know, he was going to get the money he got because of the position he played, the longevity he had. Um, you know, you knew he was going to get that. With Ryan O'Reilly, at this point right now, throw whatever you want at him. <laughs> and, yeah. we've got, and we've got him signed for a very reasonable <laughs> contract. That's the other great thing about it, too. He signed for a reasonable amount of money. And, and a lot of people thought that contract was high at the time. Yeah. But look at, look at what salaries have gone nuts since that trade has happened. Um, and really that deal gets done. And, and, and again, I, I love Tom Stillman to death and that deal only gets done because the blues were willing, were willing to take on the, uh, uh, bonus that, yeah. uh, Ryan O'Reilly was done. And that was a matter of Armstrong going to Stillman and saying, Hey, we have a chance to get Ryan O'Reilly here, but we have to pay the bonus that seven and a half million dollars. And Stillman was like, okay, go for it. You know? That seven and a half million dollar investment, you know, in Ryan O'Reilly, that additional money has brought untold amount of money to the Blues franchise from the Stanley Cup victory and the goodwill. Season ticket sales were at their best last season. I mean, you want to talk about trades that have made a lasting impact in St. Louis Blues history. Um, it Ryan O'Reilly has to be up there. Yeah, I think you there. I think you say Hall. And then O'Reilly. I think it's Hall and then O'Reilly. Those, yeah, those, Hull, that's, he, that's two. I say even more than Tarasenko. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, and, and Tarasenko's a great player, and he's probably going to go deep in this thing. But, yeah, it's it's for me, I think uh, O'Reilly beats Bacchus here. And now that we've talked it out, I feel actually I, I was very apprehensive about it, but now I feel a lot better about yes, it. Yes, I so, agree 100%. Yeah. So Ryan O'Reilly it is. So, But I'm curious to see what people vote on here because, again, it's 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 a long body of work versus short term impact, but man, that short term impact is so good. Oh yeah, so good. All right, now here's an interesting one here that you set up for us here. A comparison I've never seen made, but it goes back to the early '90s era of the St. Louis Blues. 
Number eight seeded Brendan Shanahan versus number nine seeded Adam Oates. And uh, you talk about two very different type of players. Uh, Brendan Shanahan, of course, uh, he was he was very much like a David Backus type of a forward, although I think Shanahan was just better overall. Um, you know, Shanahan played in uh, uh, four years for the Blues, uh, had 156 goals, 150 assists for 306 points and 277 games played. He was a plus five. And in just four years, he had 692 penalty minutes. Uh, he was a very aggressive forward. He was one of my favorite forwards uh, growing up. I mean, he was right up there uh, with uh, Brendan, uh, with Brett Hall for me in terms of adulation. I, I Hall was my guy, but Brendan Shanahan was right up there. Um, he, you know, I remember meeting Brendan Shanahan during. Uh, he always would host a charity softball game in the off season, like the Blues players against the media. And he would sign autographs afterwards. He was always very nice, very approachable. Um, and uh, he had a good good impact on me um, growing up. Um, and of course, we can talk about, you know, the tampering and the first-round picks and Scott Stevens and all that stuff. And I'm sure you, you might mention that here in a little bit. But he takes on Adam Oates, a guy who you could say made Brett Hall what he was uh, with St. Louis. There there may not be the legend of Brett Hall without Adam Oates. Um, Adam Oates, in his time in St. Louis, he uh, played just three years. He, um, way, way too short of a time period. Uh, 195 games played, 58 goals, but he was obviously known as an assist man. 228 assists for 286 points. He uh, was a plus 20 during his time. And yeah, he made he was he was Hall and Oates. He was he was the Oates part of that. And uh, uh, this is a, this is another tough one you've come up with here, Wags. Uh, I, how how do you compare these two? It's so difficult because I mean you talk about they are two different kinds of players. I mean Oates was primarily the assist guy. Yeah, he'll he'll not he'll net some goals here and there, but more so because, you know, he kept fitting Hall so much that occasionally Hall would give it back because he had, you know, Oates would have a wide open net. Uh, so it, it helps. But 90 assists in, in 1991 uh, for 115 points. So that's a pretty good ratio when it comes to assists. But, but Shanahan, once again, he, he was a different kind of player. Uh, he yeah. was definitely more of a uh, playmaker. So he would score goals and he would also assist. He was also very, very physical, like you said, almost 700 penalty minutes. I mean, Oates, in his time in St. Louis, he had about, oh, I don't know, like 71. 71? Yeah. <laughs> so wildly different kind of player. Uh, and this goes back to your argument of what, I mean, Shanahan wasn't here a long amount of time either, but it's still short-term success versus a little bit longer-term success. Uh, you know, Shanahan he was here for, what, four years? Uh, so yeah. just one year. I think what it comes down to is what, what kind of an impact these guys made to the Blues organization. So Oates made Hall who he was, essentially. But Brett Hall continued to score goals after Adam Oates left. Brendan Shanahan brought in Chris Pronger, who became, as we know in our other bracket, one of our top Blues defensemen of all time. Um, so, I mean, I think you have to link that to this argument in a sense because what Oates brought in when he was traded was a guy on our list in Craig Janney 
but nothing that really made much of an impact. And Brett Hall continued to go on and play at a high level and score a ton of goals. Brandon Shanahan was very good for the Blues. And yes, the whole tampering situation, it did end up losing Scott Stevens, but it did kind of redeem itself when he was traded for Chris Bromper. So I think that's kind of a wash. <laughs> to me, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. The, the, the Pronger thing washes when you talk about Stevens, and and plus you got to include the first-rounders in there yes, as well. Yes, lots of first-rounders. The, the Blues pretty much went almost the entire mid-'90s without first-round picks, except for like one year when they traded for one. I think that became – I forget who it was. It was it, it was a forward that was with the Blues for a while. It was 1996. Uh, Marty Reasoner. That's who oh, was. yeah, good pick. Marty Reasoner. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't bad. Um, but to me, I'm going with Adam Oates on this one. Uh, Oates, in about three years, almost matched the offensive production that Brendan Shanahan in, had in four. Because uh, you're talking about 306 points in 277 games for Brendan Shanahan. Very good. But then Oates had 286 points in just 195. And to me, you you know, he came along at a time. He, not only that, I mean, he was he was essentially the replacement for Bernie Federko because they were traded for yep. one another from Detroit. But he came along at a time when Brett Hall was still kind of a, you know, unknown quantity uh, because he did have conditioning issues. He was not a perfect player when he came from Calgary whatsoever. And yet, as we've seen with some players, you know, and we see it today with like the O'Reilly and Perron pairing and the Shen and Schwartz pairing, to be a great player, you need a good complement. You, you 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 need to have complementary players to make you better. Oates and Hall worked together perfectly. I mean, there there was I mean, there may not be a more perfect pairing in Blues history, and that's saying something considering what we have now with the likes of O'Reilly and Perron and Shannon Schwartz. Um, Oates was very productive in his time. He Shanahan as you know, we we talk about Shanahan's penalty minutes. He has he had a tendency to take some dumb penalties. You know, that I mean some of those penalties were were not exactly smart and put the blues in predicaments. Um it, it's a very close argument and you can I mean it, it's you can easily I can almost flip a coin on this one really. I just think that Oates complimenting Hall the way he did meant more than Brendan Shanahan scoring goals on the second line. I'll say this. Time. Here's here's where your argument is going to be 100% completely valid, because I think I'm going to agree with you on Oates. Um, you talk about Stevens and Pronger being a wash. When Brendan Shanahan was brought in, you needed to look at what you, the Blues essentially gave to New Jersey. You said, you said about all the first-round draft picks and Scott Stevens. Yes. Was what Brendan Shanahan did what Brendan Shanahan did in St. Louis, was it worth Scott Stevens and all those first round picks? No. So that's, that's your argument right there. I mean, no. if he would have came in and if he would have put up numbers like Hall was putting up as far as doing, you know, 76, 80, 90 goals and a bunch of assists and a ton of points, you know, hundred to 150 points, then yeah, you could sit there and go, okay, this guy was worth a top end defenseman, a couple of first round picks. You're good. Your argument's solid, but you know, the most points he put up with the Blues is 102 and 93, 94. 
He had 94 and 92, 93. And like you said, he took some bad penalties. And, you know, he was a, in his time here in St. Louis, he was a, a, a plus five. So it's not like he was a, a world beater, essentially. And then, no. like you said, you look at what Adam Oates did. Brett Hall's best seasons, as far as goals are concerned, are 89-90, 90-91, 91-92, 72-86, and 70. Guess what years uh, uh, Adam Oates was here? 89-90, 90-91, and most of 91-92. So I think that right there solidifies the argument that that it's going to be Oates over Shanahan for me. Yeah, definitely for sure. And uh, even though it, we're not weighing this really in terms of the argument, it's, it is worth noting that you could uh, Adam Oates actually became better when he left St. Louis. I mean, he had an incredible year, 92-93, 142 points with Boston. Uh, the next year, and and that was really when Blues fans started, you know, getting bitter about this deal because I mean, what could have been? I mean, and also one other distinction is that Adam Oates is a Hall of Famer. Yes, Brendan Shanahan is not. Actually, no, yeah, yes, he is. Shanahan is too. I'm sorry, I thought he, I, th- I thought he, I forgot he got in. So they're both Hall of Famers. So that's a wash. Uh, but Shanahan generally was what he was when he left the Blues and went to Hartford. You know, he, he was a very consistent, you know, producer um, pretty much for most of his career. I mean, he played in Detroit for a long time, for nine years, and he's really more of a, you know, Detroit legend, whereas for Oates, I mean, he's definitely more, I would say, uh, of a, you know, Boston or Washington legend. Um, but I, I just think I just think in, in their time, respective times with the Blues, I think Oates made the better impact, and he only cost the Blues the uh, final year of Bernie Federico's career, which was not a great one. Um, so, I mean, the last year, I mean, his entire career was great. Um, whereas <laughs> Shanahan, whereas the cost of Shanahan just was just that hurt badly. Yeah. And, and that was almost like, that was almost like a, it, it felt like, you know, the NHL coming down and saying, okay, blues, you've, you've done this a lot, you know, with RFA, stop it. You know, this is, this is that, that's like the straw that brought broke the camel's back so i'm going oats on this one i agree with you i think oats is going to take it but once again we'll see what the fans say because this could be a very interesting matchup and we'll see what the fans say about our final matchup because it it, it really (laughs) we're trying to base these based on their time in st louis only but i'm curious what blues fans are going to say and how they're going to react when they see this poll drop on Tuesday, I'm gonna make the, I'm gonna make this the Tuesday poll. Number one, Brett Hall versus number sixteen, some dude named Wayne Gretzky. Who? What? And, uh, they. Some people called him a a good one. Oh yeah, no, a good no, one. great, great one, great one. It was. Yeah, that's right, that's right. He was he, he was kind of a big deal in in some places. Um. <laughs> Uh, first of all, you're you're very diabolical for setting up this matchup, Wax. Because you're you're the one that set the seedings here, and um, I oh, mean, laying it all on my feet. I see. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? I take it back. I t- I walk that back. Is now now that I, I I'm thinking back to when when I, I I ranged these players and I suggested Wayne as a 16. So I think that actually. You can blame me for this one. You know, it was a good collaboration because we talked about it, and yeah. we were basing, we were trying to figure out how are we basing this? Are we taking this as full career? Or are we taking it as what they did as a blue? And you know, we were like, it's going to be really interesting as just a blue. And when we were talking about, it, we're like, man, 
Gretzky is probably a 16 seed or a lower seed because he was only here a very short amount of time and the season didn't end the way most people expected it to end. So <laughs> I don't think we really need to compare the numbers no, between Hall and o, uh, Gretzky in terms of their St. Louis con- contributions. And I, and I can't believe I'm going to say these words, but I think this should be a blowout win for Brett Hall over Wayne Gretzky. I'm just curious, though, what people are going to say and what they're going to do when they actually see this happen. I mean, I mean, you're, you're talking about two guys that, you know, they didn't click, you know, when 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 Gretzky was acquired from from L.A., uh, but these are two legends of the game. I mean, I have the Tiger Electronics Wayne Gretzky versus Brett Hall uh, shootout that they had. You know, it was it was like a it was like a ninety one, and I got off eBay for ten bucks. It still works great. It's you know Tiger Electronics, so it's kind of lousy nowadays. But um, you know, we we're talking about two icons of the game, and it's just yeah it, it's it's Brett Hall for sure but it's just it, it, I mean if we were going by like full careers I mean this would be an absolute homicide in favor of Wayne Gretzky see um, I'm not sure it would be an absolute homicide because I mean I'm just looking at things right now uh, I'm just comparing their career numbers and so Gretzky played in 1487 games in the NHL okay and mm-hmm. he scored 894 goals, 1963 assists. I mean, you can't, you, you can never compare those sorts of things. But just looking at Brett Hall, 1,269 games in his career, the dude had 741 goals. He was only 150 goals behind Gretzky and played in about 200 less games than him. True. And I'm not sitting here saying Hall is the same as Gretzky because Gretzky, if you take away all of his, his goals, he still has more points than anybody in, in the history of the game, all that being said. But, you know, the thing that strikes me the most about it is we call, we call Wayne Gretzky the great one because, yeah, he was an all-around great player, but he really didn't score as many goals as you would think he did. I mean, 894 is a lot. Don't get me wrong. It's yeah. still It's still one of the – still the tops but you know Brett Hall was was pretty damn close to being almost as good a goal scorer as Wayne Gretzky was and I think Hall played in a tougher time for goal scorers in a sense because goaltending pads and stuff got started getting bigger in the in the 90s and and the style of goaltending changed as well so I mean yes I still think Gretzky would have won a matchup if you're comparing careers but if you're talking about pure goal scorers Brett Hall is right there when it comes to to being a, a, a just a straight up goal scorer. I think this is was an argument between who was the better pure goal scorer, Brett Hall or Wayne Gretzky. That's when you get a tough argument. I still think that I mean Gretzky's is probably the greatest playmaker of all time. No question. You, you know he almost has you know he has over almost has two thousand assists in his career in twenty in twenty years. That's ridiculous. Um, I, I and and I think that's where where Brett Hall, where Gretzky beats Hall in terms of being a better overall player, but in his time with the Blues, I mean, yeah, he was you know the 18 game speed bump in in his career, yep. you know, eight goals, 13 assists for 21 points. He was a minus six. He was not. He was definitely you know, I, I think he had I think he had trouble adjusting a little bit. I mean, when you, I mean, your player is great as his. You you've been in L.A. for so long. You played around the same guys, and then you know when you're 35 years old, you get traded to a completely new team for the stretch. I, I think it was tough on him a little bit. 
And of course, Mike Keenan didn't help things. There's your obligatory Mike Keenan mention for this <laughs> uh, episode, by the way. Um, but yeah, it, it was. I mean, it, it for this for this purpose, I think Brett Hall should win this one in a walk, just in terms of Blues contributions. But the overall contributions to the game—that's uh, I, I still think it's Gretzky, but that's a better argument. Yeah, than... most definitely. And you know, the the one thing going for Gretzky is, um, you know, yeah, he only played 18 games regular season, 13 playoff games, but his embracement of St. Louis post NHL career is in my mind, just incredible. He married a St. Louis girl. He still maintains a residence here. Um, You know, when he was at the all-star game this year, his speech before the, uh, I think it was before the game just was so glowing of the city of St. Louis and what the city has meant to him. And the dude only played here for, a couple of months that that is incredible because I don't hear him talking about LA like that. I don't even really hear him talking about Edmonton like that. Um, I don't, I don't really hear a whole lot of interviews with Gretzky, but it just seems like his, his view of St. Louis is just incredible for a guy that only spent a couple of months here. Now all of a sudden he's, he's another of those favored sons in St. Louis where if you go, Hey, Wayne Gretzky says he's from St. Louis and people are like, wow, that's really cool. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he spent so, so short time here, and yet St. Louis is so prominent in his life. It's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, it's and yet and then that you know Brett Hall, he's been you know it kind of in and out of St. Louis ever since his career, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's that's an interesting viewpoint. I never really really you know thought about that, but yeah, you know Gretzky is a St. Louisan. You know, I guess you know in his post you know career anyway. So um. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's 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 great to see that he's able to, you know, live the rest of his life here in St. Louis. And as as I've mentioned before, you know, he's you know he kind of enjoys being able to go to the grocery store without being accosted, you know, by by adoring fans. I mean, he could not do that in Edmonton. So, um, but yeah, that's it, it's it, it's it's an interesting discussion between Hall and Gretzky for sure. Uh, but in terms of on-ice contributions, it's definitely Brett Hall. So yeah, 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 no question. Uh, this this will be the poll on Tuesday. Uh, Monday will be uh, the tough Ryan O'Reilly versus David Backus poll on Monday at noon. And then for Wednesday, we'll go with uh, Brendan Shanahan versus Adam Oates. And then for Thursday, I think we'll go with that tough Pierre Turgeon, Alex Steen matchup. And then the uh, two, two more on Friday, two more on Saturday, all dropping at noon. Follow our Twitter account at Blue Notes Pod. And that is going to do it for this episode. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there's no me, there's no Wags, there is no Blue Notes, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. Any final thoughts, Wags? I'm very, very excited to see what the fans uh, think of these of this bracket. We, uh, we all knew it was going to be the toughest one of the bunch. I'm excited to see where they go with it, and I'm really excited that we can continue to keep counting this down and see who really is the greatest blue of all time. Exactly. This is this this was going to be the toughest bracket, probably the most exciting bracket of them all, and I can't wait to see what you think as listeners. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle.
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.